Survivor 46 is here, and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast, and we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Vyadaris, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcast. Welcome back to Clear the Cash. I'm your host, Nate List. You can find me on Twitter at an outraged Jew. And of course, the brains behind the whole operation, pretty much everything. I'm just the arms and legs. Uh, Jesse Bach. You can find me on Twitter at planet underscore fatness. Jesse, last episode, uh, we ended the show by talking about these Allen and Ginter egg cards that were selling for. $2,500 for this gold egg card. And we reached out to this massive listening audience and said, does anybody know why there are egg cards? And does anybody know why the egg cards are actually having multiple bidders bidding hundreds, if not thousands of dollars for them? And Jesse, we had a patron reach out in the Discord chat, which if you guys want to find it, go to my Twitter profile. I constantly am posting about the Discord chat. We have a free one. People can jump in, sell cards. We have a market, a chat. It's great. And inside of that, one of our good patrons gave us the backstory to what the origin was of this card. Now, correct me if I'm wrong, but did it not have the name Kylie Jenner in it? So the backstory of the card, I had no idea until earlier today when I saw this this uh, this link from Blowout Cards that was posted on the the Discord from the Konami card, um, and I guess the post is back from like tw- it's from like 2018 or 2019, and Kylie Jenner set like a, a record on Instagram or one of her personal records of um, setting the most likes or getting the most likes from like just any post on Instagram. So I think she hit like 30 million or 30 million likes on a single post. And there were people who wanted to, I guess, manipulate Instagram to the point of we're going to post a picture of an egg and we're going to, and we're going to try to get more likes on this picture of an egg than Kylie Jenner did on her Instagram post. And they did it. They beat Kylie Jenner. So this I, I've seen on, on eBay before and I haven't I haven't researched the backstory until I saw this post today on on the discord. It's basically referred to as the Kylie Jenner rookie card. Basically, Tops Allen and Ginter decided to make this Instagram post into a card. So that's why there are several people out there that refer to this as the Kylie Jenner rookie card. the origin is even worse it's even worse i was reading the quote um and i might tweet this out here uh it it says that uh in, in a nutshell kylie jenner posted a birth announcement which set a record for likes at the time of 18 million okay 18 million i i over i got a little ahead of myself and, and overzealous i said 30 but eight that's still a shit kylie jenner a gets a lot of likes she has a huge following so not not a bad guess i you know mo, it's i don't know how many bots are hitting like but whatever then it says but an anonymous poster then posted a picture of an egg which went viral and had 60 million likes oh my god 60 million they more, likes they more than tripled it CNN wrote about it. Wired wrote about it. New York Times wrote about it. And the egg, the egg was born. And I mean, as we've talked about, there's serial numbered of five, of one gold eggs, base <laughs> eggs. Like this is, it's gone way too far. Um, but but they're popular. And I, I was reading posts of people that were literally like riding this wave and selling them. And people were legitimately chasing down these egg cards. So 
That's the origin story for anybody that cared to know. Those cards are, I want to tell you, worthless, but in the short term, clearly not. Clearly, they have some value. So scramble and go buy some <laughs> right now. Thank you, Jesse. Nice. Thank you. That one was loaded from last week. <laughs> so Darren Ravel, uh, who you may personally, uh, may or may not be a fan of, I'm assuming not necessarily a fan of, but you're pretty, you're a pretty balanced individual. Um, he posts on Instagram the other day a comment basically talking about the card market getting softer. And his comment basically says, on January 31st, two Jordan PSA 10 FLIR rookies sold for $738,000 each. Then he mentions tonight, two sold for $492,000 each. Then once again, he goes back to January 31st and says, a Jordan PSA 9 FLIR rookie sold for $73,000. And then tonight, one sold for $36,000 or roughly $37,000. He says, the card market looking soft heading in two huge auctions tonight in Memory Lane and Golden. Time for the people who openly boast about this being the first inning to put their money where their mouth is. Initially, what does that comment mean to you before we read a, a response from Shine? Um, I think it's it's unnecessarily threatening, and I'm not sure what he has against the card community and even the card investor community. So I hear, I, I personally, I, I, I consume a lot of content myself, and and I listen to other people in the community, and I have heard and have been told personally that, you know, we are in the second inning. We are in the first inning. We are in the third inning. I think, I think that's kind of garbage analysis because nobody knows. I don't know what inning we're in. I don't think we're, I don't think we're at the end, but we're, we're definitely reaching a lot of hype right now, especially with golden auctions and Ken golden going on CNBC and Fox business himself talking about all time sales records of random cards on, on his platform. Um, but that's probably the one thing I'll agree with, with Darren at uh, the, the first inning analysis is just complete garbage, um, because nobody really knows, but, um, I, I don't really understand what he has, uh, like against the card investment community. And this is coming from somebody who Darren, Darren's into, top shot himself he's a big big investor and believer in top shot and nfts and he also i i, I told you pre-show he's he's not that quite into just traditional rookie cards of, of just you know common sports or com common athletes or all-time greats he's into kind of oddball cards and and um even signed checks of old major league baseball players so one of the cards I think that he still might have in his possession is is a, a PSA 10 copy of the the Rock. I guess it's considered an XRC card while he was on the University of, of Miami football team um, that was produced by, I think, Bumblebee Tuna. So just a really oddball card out there. But um, so it's not like he's against sports card sports cards altogether, but. Um, it, it just seems a little, a little unsettling that he's taking this type of shot towards the, the card investor community and the cardboard community itself. I mean, at, at any point in time, you can take a snapshot and say, this is what everything is now. And when we look on a long graph, clearly it's not the market's been hot for a long, long time, but it's interesting because this is what he did. He cherry picked some information made it work to his benefit and then said, Hey, this is a sign that everything is, is going the other direction. And then kind of in an effort to, to sort of throw a jab, he said, put your money where your mouth is, right? If, you know, if you still think things are so great and we're seeing a $300,000 change in these cards, you know, then put your money where your mouth is and, and go buy cards again, go buy expensive cards. And I don't know that Jordan is the same way that Bitcoin is to other cryptocurrency. I don't know that because Jordan FLIR rookies are doing whatever they're doing that that's necessarily affecting everything else. The way that when Bitcoin's price drops, you see lots of other cryptocurrencies drop because 
in, in the cryptocurrency world, everything is very tied to the success of Bitcoin, where in this market, if you're a fan of a player, then you're a fan of a player irrespective of what's happening with a Jordan rookie. Most people could never afford a Jordan rookie, and you can't buy fractions of cards. I mean, you can on, on websites, but that's not really what's taking place. You're literally buying the equivalent of a whole unit. So you don't really care, per se, what's happening with Jordan the same way you would with this, but it's more interesting because... Someone you put me on to, his Instagram is Shine150, who has one of, would you argue, the most impressive card collections in the world? I, th I think he has like a top top three collection in, like on planet Earth. He's, yeah, this, this guy is an insane collector. So this yeah. guy is invested. I mean, he's financially invested as, as heavily as any one person can be. And he responds to this comment that Darren Ravel posted, and he says, accessible, highly transacted cards pulling back is a healthy, normal correction. Irreplaceable cards that rarely transact won't pull back 30% like a pop 300 plus card. Also, these high realized sales are incentivizing people to sell their rare cards and allow them to change ownership for those profits. There is definitely a lot of big cards hitting the market at once, but in due time, most of those cards will settle into new collections. So Jesse, when you hear Shine, a guy who is, I mean, a figurehead in what's taking place universally, make this statement uh, as a counter to what Ravel said, what do you think? I, I honestly couldn't have. I couldn't have put together a more a more well-rounded response myself because when I, when I read back his his response kind of just breaking it down it's it's crazy how in especially in the in the modern card market and era with PSA 10 prism based pop counts going well over 10,000 for several um, young stars and, and up and coming, uh, up and coming stars and probably approaching 20,000 plus I'm looking at Luke and Zion. Um, it's crazy how a card that as old as Jordan, as the Jordan Fleer rookie PSA 10 with a pop of over 300, how that's not considered a low pop card, even for as low, even for as old as it is. So um, if, if we talk about a, a card from 2017, that's a pop 300. That's really low. If, even, even a card that was produced last year, that's considered a low pop card. But I think in his mind, um, like, and it, I mean, in reality, a pop 300 card, that's not like a super rare card. You, at some point you will probably see a copy of that card pop up on eBay or Instagram or wherever. Um, so if those cards can, if, I mean, if a card like that, even like Jordan, if it goes up 10 X over the course of a month and a half or two months, there are going to be owners of that card that, you know, don't really feel super comfortable holding onto a card that's rapidly approaching close to a million dollars. And it's not the most rare card. I, I'm, there's going to be a Jordan card, if not already that is more going to be more expensive than the FLIR PSA 10. If you look at like something like the uh, nine, 1997 uh, Michael Jordan PMG green, which only 10 of them exist, that's like the most expensive Michael Jordan card. That that puts the 86 FLIR PSA 10 to shame. That's how expensive that card is. Um, but yeah, I mean, a, a card that that is as iconic as that card and, and is has a pop of over 300 it you're going to see a, a price correction in a card like that if it 10 X's. So I wouldn't call 30% plus pullback. I wouldn't call that a crash. I'd probably call that more of a, of a market correction. Um, but it's just, uh, that just kind of caught my eye that even something, uh, with a pop as low as three hundreds, how that, that can still be looked at as a pretty frequently transacted card. It's not going to be, you know, the, the rarest of rare cards. So I like that, that point of his analysis. Then he goes into talking about how people are incentivized into selling rare cards. And usually these individuals are, are people that have had this card in their collection for a decade or longer. And they just, again, they feel uncomfortable with, with the, 
amount of money that they're that they'd potentially be leaving on the table. God forbid, like their house burns down or something and their cards are in their house and all of a sudden they lost half a million dollars or close to a million dollars. So um, they honestly feel uncomfortable having it in their possession at that point. Um, and I'm, there's nothing wrong with taking profits when when, you know, you have hundreds of thousands of dollars on the table and profit alone. Um, so I, I like that point of his analysis. And then um, you're going to be seeing, you know, somebody who bought that card for over $700,000, which there have been multiple copies of the card sold, sold for over over 700K. They, they're going to have diamond hands. So they're not going to, they don't care if the card drops by half. They're not going to panic sell because these people can, like, those individuals can basically afford to put hundreds of thousands of dollars into a piece of, of cardboard that's graded. So they're going to be in it for the long term. Um, that's going to be a major PC card for them uh, for quite a while. And um, that's honestly one of the most iconic cards in probably the history of the hobby. It's it's probably going to be close to up there with like the Honest Wagner um, T206. So even though it's not as rare, it, it's just about as iconic. So there are going to be people that aren't going to be thinking about letting go of this card, even if I, I guarantee you there are going to be sellers or there are going to be owners of this card. When it reaches $5 million, they're not even going to be looking to sell just because they think it's going to go up more. So it's interesting how you know a lot of people do play into the long game and they want a card like this for basically close to the rest of their lives or when they want to pass something down to their kids or grandkids or want to, you know, whatever, save, save up money for their retirement. And that's, that's when they're going to finally be open to, to parting with the card. So, um, there's a lot of people that are, that are in this for the long term, And, and even Ravel is kind of looking at this a little, a little short minded and a little short sighted himself and saying, Oh, well, this car sold for seven hundred thousand dollars last month, and now it's four hundred four hundred k. Put your money where your mouth is and buy another one. Like, he's just—I don't know. It—it's it, you have no idea what this card is going to look like twenty-five years from now or fifty years from now. Like you—you you have no idea. This, like, five million dollars could be like a drop in the bucket compared to what it actually could be decades from now. And as I'm hearing you say this. It's reminding me of something that you texted me the other day, and I'm wondering if there's a correlation between the the tweets and this, you know, the Instagram responses that we're reading right here and sort of your philosophy. Because the other day you texted me a phrase. You said that there's comfort in crashes. What did you mean by that? So if you unless if you're buying at the peak and you're looking for a short-term flip which i wouldn't advise doing so with these types of cards um it it's honestly it so this this is a theory that bit that best applies to all, cards of all-time greats and hall of famers um you can see that with uh peaks and high sales volume of a certain card that there is sufficient demand in that card in that player's card market and the reason that I'm basically that I, I kind of saw this is because um, I saw an a, a card that I own, a Michael Jordan rookie card that I own that has gone that's basically dropped close to 60 percent. And when it hit its peak, I was even hesitant to sell myself because it, within my lifetime, I think this card can reach six figures. Um, and I, I, I don't I, I never try to exaggerate with. Um, what prices can hit. I, I try to, I try to be realistic. And I think in my lifetime, this card can hit six figures and it's significantly corrected to basically crashing within a month or two months time. So I almost, it almost kind of incentivizes me or makes me think, think out loud about even purchasing a second copy of that card. If I see that it can hit a ceiling, like it's hit. So um, corrections or crashes can, can bring the card right back into, into your price range. Um, which even though it's probably still more than what you bought an original copy for, um, there, there's still going to be another bull run and there's still going to be people that are going to be holding onto this card 
for the long term and regardless of how much it goes up for. Um, price corrections lead the way to a new higher floor and a point of stability in that card's market. So let's say, and I'll be totally transparent in my example. I, I had this listed as an example for the show, so I'll, I'll be transparent. I have a 1986 Fleer sticker Michael Jordan PSA 9. Um, with, uh, I, I think the total pop of that card is like over 1800, but we haven't actually talked about qual qualifiers before on PSA slabs, uh, PS certain PSA slabs, mostly older slabs, they can have qualifiers on them. Um, so under the grade, if it's not a 10, if it'll like, it'll say PSA nine and then un underneath the nine, it'll say in parentheses, OC for off center or ST for stain or wh or whatever other qualifier. There's like 10 plus qualifiers that PSA, um, that PSA can, can label their cards as if, if a card is graded and has a qualifier, it's generally far less valuable than just a regular PSA nine of that copy that doesn't have a qualifier at all. It just has a Michael Jordan Fleer sticker PSA nine. Um, I bought into that card, uh, maybe a month or two after the Jordan documentary came out and I bought it for around $2,600. Nate, I was texting you. Uh, I texted you a couple of times about this card as it was peaking because all of a sudden, like in the blink of an eye, this card was in, sitting pretty, you know, steady in the four to $5,000 range a couple months after I bought it. And all of a sudden it hit 15 K and then it hit 20 K and then it hit 25. And the card peaked at $33,000 and I'm like, well, shit. I mean, I, at this point I, I probably should have bought two or three if like, I, I mean, I I've spent that amount of money on other cards. So I might, instead of buying those other cards that I didn't re really even care about at the time, besides, you know, taking a quick profit or making a quick profit, I should have just bought two more copies of that, of that Michael Jordan. Um, so I, I, as soon as it hit 30 K, I'm like, oh my, I'm probably never gonna, it, it'll be years if I, if I ever am able to get another copy of this card again. And all of a sudden within the last month, month, month and a half, um, a lot of hall of fame and all time great cards have, have basically crashed and by crash. I'm talking about like a 60 plus percent dip in price. And now that PSA nine Fleer sticker Jordan rookie is sitting around like ten to twelve thousand dollars, and it's basically back into a, a price range where I basically feel comfortable spending that money now on that card, even though I didn't buy two or three copies when they were two to three thousand dollars. I at least know that that card has already had a trajectory of over thirty thousand dollars. So that that honestly makes me feel far more comfortable buying at the new floor now than I was pre $30,000 or $25,000 run up. So this kind of um, this honestly kind of wanted me to, you know, take a couple minutes and talk about it on the show. And, and I've had I've had other experiences where I went the complete opposite way. I've I've moved, you know, a couple of LeBron James rookie cards that have basically 5x to 10x while I've had them in my possession. I I honestly felt uncomfortable holding them just because I'm I'm figuring, you know, God forbid anything bad happens and this is tens of thousands of dollars down the drain. Um, you know, that something like that would kind of made me feel a little uneasy. And this so I, I sold, you know, I sold a, a pretty valuable LeBron rookie first, and then I kind of wanted to take a different approach with, with the MJ and just kind of see where it went. And, and now I'm seeing the, you know, the crash that's coming after. And I honestly, like, I don't feel phased at all with a card like that, just because that's a card that you, you really don't want to let go of. Um, if, if you're able to have the capital and means to acquire one. So if anything, I'm, I'm kind of in the process of even getting a second one myself. Um, and like I said, uh, there's a, a bunch of all time greats. Card prices are, are taking serious self corrections and, and dips in the meantime. And when basically when there's, you know, when there's blood in the streets, that's when, that's when, you know, the real buyers, 
make their money. That's when that's when people who are looking at it from, uh, you know, a pretty like financially real, like realistic mindset, that's when they jump in and buy because they've already seen the peaks that the, that those cards have experienced. I, I mean, it's a good point. Like you've, you've seen that peak. It's like unrealized air yards, right? You're like, man, that guy, he, he's not that good. He was three for 23. And you're like, well, he had seven targets. And if he would have caught all of them, he would have been seven for 148 and a touchdown. And you're looking at these cards and you've now seen the ceiling. So, we know that it's not that's not its future ceiling. Like it could go well beyond that. That's just where it's been. And now that we know it's been there, it's far more comfortable buying in at five times the original number. But you mentioned that you've seen you know all time greats uh, cards you know recently going with price corrections. What are a few names of note that you can remember that you've seen it happening with? Yeah, honestly, I you know the Jordan sticker if. If you can acquire that card and basically I'll, I'll I'll just kind of put an arbitrary grade out there like a BGS 8.5 or above. If you have the means to acquire a card like that, I probably would and just hold on to it and just forget about it. Don't like pretend like it's almost not even in your collection, even if I'm, I'm sure we have we have listeners out there that haven't. They've been listening to our episodes, but they haven't even bought a card themselves and are just looking to seriously invest into something. If you haven't bought into anything yet and just you just want a piece of uh, a piece of history that you think will appreciate with time, just steadily it might not 10x in a month, but it'll it'll it won't have the same risk as ultra modern cards do. The Fleer sticker Jordan is honestly a great way to go because that that's going to be a card. I I personally believe the PSA nine copy is going to be a hundred thousand dollar card in my lifetime. We've already we've seen the PSA ten. Um, the, the PSA ten has far fewer copies than the nine, but strangely enough, that PSA ten actually hasn't really gone down. So um, the the PSA ten is probably out of any of our listeners' price ranges. That's a multi hundred thousand dollar card. Um, but uh, I, you know, I'll, I'll count the Fleer sticker PSA nine and, and below as a play as well. But five other athletes that I, I've seen myself actually that have either price corrected or basically crashed within the last 30 days. Um, so my, my first play is the 81 tops Joe Montana PSA nine. This is, you know, a, a lot of these cards are basically more expensive plays. These are for true investors who have the capital um, to, to basically invest in cards like these and, and be comfortable with holding them with, with, uh, a good amount of time. So the 81 tops Joe Montana rookie PSA nine peaked for over five grand in early February and its last sale just went, o just, just went over just a touch above $3,000 within the last couple of days. So that dropped over 40%, not quite a crash, but a pretty, pretty big price correction. Um, even Jerry Rice's, uh, rookie cards, I'm looking at his 86 tops PSA nine and BGS nine. They've both corrected to just about 50%. Um, the BGS nine is especially an insane value because that that's gone down like 55%. It peaked over $3,500 in mid February with its last sale a couple days ago, going just under 1700. Um, the BGS nine even presents a better value than than the PSA nine does. Uh, then next, I, I was looking at the '86 Fleer Akima Lajuan, uh, which is it's kind of considered his rookie card. He's he's kind of in the same position as Jordan, where he was drafted in '84, but in '84 and '85, basketball didn't really have many um, licensed card products. So, just like Jordan, his '86 Fleer is technically considered his rookie card. Um, his his uh, 80 Olajuwon's 86 Fleer PSA 10 sold for it sold for a pretty penny in early March. It sold for $25,000 and it's last sale it, within the last couple of days sold for $11,000. So from 25 to 11, that's over 60% drop. Even the PSA nine, a far more reasonable option for probably a lot of our listeners out there. Um, that sold for a peak of $3,800 in early February and now it's down to basically $1,200. It's almost down 70% in just basically a month and a half, which is just absolutely insane. Um, next is the 92 Tops Gold Shaquille O'Neal um, PSA 10. 
and the PSA 9. The 10 sold for over 11,000 in early February, just most recently sold for uh, just over $4,000. That's a drop of 63% um, in a month and a half. The PSA 9 has dropped even more uh, critically. It's it's down almost 70% in a month and a half. Then I looked at the 96 Tops Chrome, Allen Iverson, Base, PSA 10, and BGS 9.5. The PSA 10 peaked for almost $10,000 in mid-February. Now it's below 4000 So that's dropped about 60%. The BGS 9.5 has dropped for over 60%. So honestly, these, these cards, I, I, these aren't, you know, very palatable, like quick flip types of cards where, you know, you put 5k into something and you expect it to go to 25, 25,000 the next month. But these are cards that, you know, there, there are going to be inevitably bull runs that I, I don't think this is going to be the last time where we're seeing cards like these that are three Xing or four Xing in a month or two months time. We're going to see bull runs like this happen more often, but even when we don't, and even when sports cards are in, even in a down market, we're not going to see these cards go down as much as we're going to see like a Luca base prism PSA 10 go. So these are, these are going to be cards that no matter how the market's doing over time, steadily, they will go up. I mean, it's incredible. I mean, you've done so much research on these and to identify these big name players that have cards that, like you said, they're going to go back up. They're more expensive than the entry level purchase prices that I think a lot of people are accustomed to. But it's exactly right. You're speaking to that one person or those few buyers out there that have, you know, $2,000, $5,000, $8,000, $10,000, and they want to spend and they want to put it into something that's a sure thing. Well, these are some great options. Um, you know, like you said, it's hard to determine exactly how much the the change will be over time. You're not going to get massive wins instantaneously the way you would with some other smaller purchases. But you're talking about some of the best players amongst every sport right here. And if you've ever wanted to get your hands on one of the most elite cards in the history of production, these are the ones right here. And Jesse did all the legwork for you. With that being said, Jesse, looking for big jumps in card value. The other day, I, I tweeted out and messaged you that a the select Kyler Murray field level silver PSA 10 card that I had purchased back in January had sold. I was not ready for it to sell. I wasn't ready to let it go. And I was especially not ready to let it go because you and I were just texting hours before it sold. And it's it's a bittersweet feeling, and I'll explain why in a minute. But for those of you that remember, probably a month and a half ago, Jesse and I were talking about how I was on vacation and we had we were texting back and forth and there was a seller. And I think it was the same seller. And he had six or seven lots of PSA 10 Kyler Murray field level, you know, silvers. And we we're like, we we're like, man, this is just this guy's got so many of them. And he had them going up for auction. And one after another, they were closing at like $1,400, $1,450. And Jesse and I had a hard line in the sand. We had talked about it. We're like, we're not going to spend more than $700 each. Now, flashing forward just two months, it feels like we should have spent way more than $700, right? What the only thing that made me uneasy about and why I was such like a stubborn jackass about not spending more than $700 each is because at that time eBay had, like you said, this, this guy had seven copies of his own in basically selling in lots of each other. So, um, he had maybe like two lots of two and then the rest were singles or three lots of two. And then he had a couple other singles. So in addition to that, there were a couple of buy it nows for, a little bit more than what he, than basically what his auctions were going for. And I, I got a little uneasy and I'm like, you know, this, like, like I said, like we talked about before, this isn't, you know, it, it, it is a low pop card for a modern card, but it's, it's not, it's not like we're, if we miss out on this now, we're never going to see it again, or it's going to be a year until we see it again. So I was pretty convinced that 
Um, at the time, the, the football market was just going to keep dropping and, and prices were still up because the playoffs were going on. Um, but even at that point from the, from the start of the season, they've, they've definitely dipped. And I was just being stubborn. I'm like, Nate, I like, we're going to be licking our chops when we can get these cards for, for $600 each. And we're just going to be picking them up left and right, whether it be on StockX, my slabs, um, eBay. Uh, so I was convinced I'm like, dude, we, we can't go above 700. Like we have to stay disciplined here. And I've talked about this before on the, the, the guest episode we had with, um, with Rob and, you know, sometimes like you just, if you really believe in the card, if you think that the card is going to go up inevitably, whether it becomes start of the season or in the long run, like what's $50, honestly, what's 50, especially if it's a PSA 10, what's $50, what's, what's going, what's going an extra 10%, like really in, in terms of if, if you really believe in the card or you, you believe in the player, like what's the harm in, in going a little higher than, than you normally would. I mean, don't go like two X, but what, like what harm does 10% do? So honestly, that was, that was an error on my part of, of not, of not budging above 700. <laughs> Dude, if, if, if I went above 700, we'd easily have like, you, you, you could have had two more copies and, and that, that's, <laughs> that's, that's on me. Um, but, uh, what the, the crazy thing is, is that, um, as, as Nate told me about his sale and, and I, I've seen Nate's listing on on eBay, and I think it was like fifteen fifty OBO. And the the buyer bought it for fifteen fifty. And I go back and uh, you know I I I I do my my own research in in terms of tracking all like you know all time uh, all time sales records for for certain cards, and I wasn't able to find any data saying that this copy of this card has ever sold for a dollar over $1,400. So Nate, you've, you've basically, you've set an all, an all time high with this Kyler sale, which is just, that's, that's absurd. Um, so I, I mean, you got to talk about how that feels too. I had no idea that number one, it was the all time high because, you know, it's interesting. You were the one that really identified this card. And you're like, look, this is one of Kyler's most premier cards, believe it or not. It had a pop count of 300 or 305, whatever it was. And you're like, we, we have to get one. And, you know, in hindsight, I wish I would have acquired more. And again, in the, you know, trying to be transparent here, the card that I sold when I bought it, I bought it for $750, which was essentially 50 more dollars than Jesse and I were going to spend as, uh, you know, in combination to win some of these auctions. And in hindsight now, I wish we would have won a couple auctions because the guy was selling them $1,400 for two. I just sold it $1,500 for one in literally 60 days. And it's pretty surreal because... You know, I had the card listed uh, about maybe about eight weeks ago, two months ago. I listed the card on eBay and I put a buy it now offer of, like you said, you know, $1,450, $1,500. And it just sat. And it had, you know, I, I messaged you, it had three watchers. And you're like, wow, that's pretty good, man. It's got three watchers. And gradually, you know, it got views and I was paying attention to it. And my watcher count really hadn't grown. Um, and I would say like four weeks had gone by JJ Watt signs there, AJ Green signs there, this buzz is building. And about three weeks ago, I got an offer for the card. And of course it was a low ball offer in relation to what my price was, because at this point the cards were only selling for, you know, 900, 1100, 12. I mean, it was in that range, but I was higher than it. So they were trying to get a discount. So guy, you know, offers me a thousand. I write the sweetest response of all time. I'm such a nice guy. I'm like, Hey, thank you so much for your offer. I appreciate it. I'm firm on my price. You know, I think this card's going to be worth more in the future. So if you'll meet me at my asking price, it's yours. And you know, I got declined one after another because I would respond to them with a counter offer of my asking price. Again, I didn't lower it. I literally, I'm like, boom, 1450 or 1500, whatever. And I did this uh, you know, once, twice, and then suddenly I was getting two offers a day. And some days I got three offers and they were coming in. I was like, tell my wife, I go, look at this. I go, look at this. I'm getting offers. Like as I'm showing her, it's like, bloop, you have an offer. I'm like, what the, I'm like, where, what is happening? 
what is Kyler Murray doing right now? Is he just like live streaming, you know, throwing 80 yard balls on the field? Like why is his market so hot? And I, I went back and looked at some of the declined offers. And one guy told me, and I quote, he's like, you're a fucking idiot. You're never going to get $1,400 for that card. Good luck anyways, or something like that. So I'm messaging with you as I'm getting hit with like waves of card offers every day. And you go, and I said, I passed on a deal that was 1200. I go, should I have taken it? And you're like, wow, you're getting a $1,200 offer. That's impressive. You go, no, I don't, I wouldn't take it. I think this card could be worth $2,000 come preseason. And I'm like, shit, man, I'm listed way under that. So I'm texting with my buddies and I'm showing them these offers as they're coming in. And I go, after I'm done with my workout, I go, I'm going to change the price. I have to move it up because like gradually uh, these offers are getting closer and closer. And and I shit you not before I could even finish my workout. Boom. Somebody had bought the card. And it's so shocking to me that this, just this hype driven momentum had pushed somebody into buying this card for, a, a price that, as you mentioned, is the highest of all time. But what's really interesting, and I text you this, is that there were other PSA 10s available for less expensive than my card. And some of those sellers had you know, more transactions on their account. And again, mine is flawless. Uh, but I thought the difference might be pictures. Maybe it was the fact that I was a little more expensive and sometimes people find comfort in paying more for things because they must assume it's a better quality. I don't know what it is, Jesse, but irrespective of that, the Kyler Murray market is rising. I think it's only going to go up from here, honestly. And before I even uh, uh, comment on Kyler Murray, um, using insults in to basically try to get the seller to lower his price. That's a, that's a bold move, Cotton. That's uh, I don't know if <laughs> I'd call it. didn't work for I, him. If, if I'm interested, yeah, if I'm interested in a card, I wouldn't, I wouldn't call the, uh, I, I've seen some questionable prices myself, but um, of cards that I'm interested in, but I, I would never, I wouldn't call the, the seller a fucking idiot to his face. <laughs> so <laughs> that's kind of a bold strategy. It's happened to me too. And, I've like, honestly, some people are just, you know, there's jackasses, but, um, you know, if you come out the winner here, just because you, you know, you sold the card for the amount that you had it listed for. But I think with, with this card, Kyler's two main, uh, more expensive rookie cards. If you're not looking at like immaculate or national treasures, if you're just looking at like a base or silver card, his two most sought after cards are going to be his his rookie prism silver PSA 10, which actually has a pretty like we're talking 300s as a low pop. That that card's pop is like 115 or something. So that card's even more more rare than the field level silver. And then of course we have the the select field level silver PSA 10, which we talked about in the pops in the 300s. Um, so those are going to be his his two most sought after um, silver rookie cards. I think. I think the the Prism Silver PSA 10, I think that card might hit 5000 and it's that's not that out of the question it's already kind of approaching there. It's I I've seen a bunch of them listed. I've tried to acquire them myself. Um I've I've seen a bunch of them listed for over 3000 to 4000 right now and we're not even in training camp or preseason. And a couple of days ago I saw a Josh Allen Prism Silver PSA 10 sell for over $8000. And I mean, I know he was, you know, for a hot minute, he was kind of in the MVP conversation this past year, but, but so was, so was Kyler Murray. I mean, he had a crazy like six week stretch or something in, in, in September, like late September to early November. Um, so it's, I mean, it's not that unforeseen that his prism silver PSA 10 goes for five grand. And I don't think it's unforeseen at all for the field level silver PSA 10 to go for 2000. So I think there's there's not much, you know, knock on wood that that is going to drive Kyler's uh, prices down unless if like, God forbid, there's some sort of Sean Watson esque scandal, uh, which, you know, pray to God that that doesn't happen. But um, I mean, it's it's kind of only looking up from here for for somebody like Kyler. It's you know, I felt the bittersweet part of it is when it's sold. 
I was like, yes. I was like, that's awesome. I, I It feels good. It sold for twice what I bought it for, and I bought it for 750 I mean, that's such an incredible win for literally – you're working with you, identifying the right card, spending money on it, sticking it in a closet, not doing anything. And then one day just going, okay, now I'm going to put it on the internet. And then boom, you know, here's $1,500. What's bittersweet is when you're like, you could get 2000 for that card in the future. And then in the blink of an eye, it was gone. So, it, I, you know, I, I took it to ship it and we talked about this. Uh, we had, you know, uh, well, Brad Ziegler, had something go down where he got scammed on the sale of a card. And I even messaged him before I shipped this card. Message you as well. I mean, it's not the most expensive card that was ever sold by any means. But the card that he got scammed on was about the same price. It was a $1,500, $1,600 card. So I was also concerned about the shipping of it. You know, so I looked at the seller. They had a flawless transaction, uh, you know, history. Only six, you know, six buys, sells. Um it was all positive. It was all recent. He was in the United States. So a lot of the boxes were checked, but I still took a video of myself packaging the thing to, you know, took a picture of the label. I was at the shipping place and I didn't insure it because the insurance on this particular card at its, you know, valuation would have been about 80 to $90 on top of everything else. So I don't know where your head's at with insuring a card like this. Like what would be your threshold that you would go, okay, I'm going to spend the hundred dollars to insure it. Um, Brad honestly gave you great advice in terms of recording yourself. If, if you, if, if you don't want to be out, you know, $1,500 or even the, the amount of money that you put into the card originally, $750. Um, if you don't take the sale into account, it's honestly not a bad idea. Just recording your, just, you know, video recording yourself, packaging the card, showing the card, um, front and back. So, so that the, you know, that the PSA serial number or BGS serial number can be very clear on the camera. Um, you have to definitely show the packaging as well, show the label, show everything, just, just be as transparent as possible during the packaging process. But, um, in terms of insurance, I, it's tough to put, um, you know, a number on when you should look at insuring the card. Um, I've personally, you have to, I honestly, you have to look at your profit margin. So if it really cuts into your profit margin and you're not even making, like, let's say you bought a card for, I don't know, $1,500 and you're selling it for 2000, that's, that's really cutting into your profit margin. So I don't think I'd, I'd really want to, insure something like that for, for its full dollar value. Um, but if I had to put a number on it, maybe if, if you sell a card for $3,000 or more, that's probably not the worst idea to, to just, you know, uh, buck up the insurance money for it as well. Um, yeah, I, I mean, it's tough, but to each their own, like everybody has their own comfort level. And if, even if you're okay with, you know, potentially a hundred or $120 cutting into your profit margin, but at least you're not out $1,500. Like it just depends on what you're comfortable with and, and how you want to protect yourself. Um, but definitely, you know, recording yourself, packaging the card. If, if you, if you feel it's, it's a sufficient amount of, if it's worth a sufficient amount of money that you don't want to be out of, it's not a bad idea to, to, film yourself packaging the card as well. Just as kind of like your own little self-insurance in case if anything goes wrong. And just so people know, I mean, Brad is an ultra experienced memorabilia collector, card buyer and seller. So this wasn't anything on him necessarily, just so people know, and you can, you can look this up, but the deal was the card was going international. The sale was to a Canadian buyer and because of that, there was going to be a longer shipping time on it. And what had happened was the guy had purchased the card. eBay had, you know, had initialized the transaction. I think the money was temporarily on hold for the sale. Brad shipped the card. And because there was such a long lag time in between, this person put a stop payment on the purchase of the card, said it was a fraudulent purchase. But by that point, the card was already going. And in hindsight, Brad looked back. The person had no previous purchases on eBay. They had literally had zero for a transaction history, which is like an ultimate red flag, which raises a question. I know this isn't on the sheet. 
if you listed a card for fifteen hundred or whatever, and somebody gave you that that best offer price, and it was a case like Brad's, but let's say they're in the U.S. and they had literally zero for their eBay history, what would you do in that case? Uh, I would. It's got to make you nervous. Yeah, I would. Um, it because are you not by the terms and policies of eBay? Aren't you essentially bound? to having to make the sale. I know you can refund it and you can, there's ways to get out of the sale, but what do you do? Cause really you're discriminating against this buyer in a way because of this number. That's, that's yeah, that's really tough. If it really makes you uncomfortable, um, I would honestly probably explain your, just be respectful, explain yourself, just be like, listen, like, uh, zero feedback buyers who don't have like their accounts were made yesterday and don't have any buy like purchases or sales history. Like that's, that's a big red flag. Like I, you know, even though I, I would like to, to take this money and, and to ship you the car, like just, you know, just to, to, to play it safe, I, I'll, I'll give you your money back. Um, and you know, we can just kind of, kind of forget about this. It might, Honestly, that it it could hurt your. They could they could report you or complain about you. But I think um, in in the long term, you're protecting yourself, and I don't think there's really anything wrong with that personally. If if I had a card that was even like let's say it was worth fifteen hundred dollars, and I have I I'm I have a couple of watchers, and I'm getting offers from a zero feedback buyer who offers me twenty five dollars less than my asking price. And I have uh, an offer from somebody who has a hundred feedback, hundred positive feedback, and they offer me a hundred dollars less than my asking price. I'd rather go with that hundred feedback buyer than that zero feedback buyer, um, just just for the peace of mind. I'm not saying that there there aren't bad, like or questionable one hundred feedback buyers out there. Like you never know. There there are people that have even transacted on eBay thousands of times, and you know just what like occasionally they'll you're just like one time they'll they'll do something wrong they'll do something that that isn't exactly kosher so you can't you know truly like put really anybody in the highest of regards but honestly zero feedback buyers that's like that's one of the bigger red flags on ebay especially when you're when you're looking to sell to to an individual like that and i believe eBay made it right with Brad, but obviously that card is not coming back. I mean, that card is long gone now. It's somewhere deep in the heart of Canada. <laughs> I mean, we have, it's surrounded by maple syrup. There's no way oh it's ever coming back. <laughs> so it's gone. But the, the point is when you're buying and selling cards, you do need to be aware of who, you know, who it is you're selling to. Typically, I don't think there's as much concern, obviously, with the buyer, but all of us started with zero transactions, you know, zero history, zero feedback. So it's something that I've also tried to do when people are good, you know, the money comes quick or, you know, it's a, it's a nice sale. I try to make sure that I respond to everybody because it's valuable to them. It's valuable to me. And it's part of the reason I was probably able to flip this Kyler Murray for what I did because I, I was somebody that paid on time. People were giving me good feedback and those relationships get built and it will help you and it'll benefit you in the future. So Jesse, we got a box break going on after this. We got to get ready, get our minds right uh, for what we hope to be uh, one of the most epic prism hobby box breaks of all time. Fingers crossed, guys. Follow Jesse on Twitter at planet underscore fatness. Find him on Instagram at flippity flip cards. Flippity flip cards. Bang. Yeah. Perfect. Find him on there. You can see his uh, incredible collection. And we will be back with uh, another fantastic episode because we left a lot on this show sheet. So we have plenty to get to next week on Clear the Cash. I